Welcome to the very first Yes Collective Therapist Circle. Twice a month, we are going to have on one of our amazing team members who are, we have psychologists, we have therapists, we have credentialed expert coaches. And so we're going to have them on and uh, we'll answer parent questions. We'll talk about important parent mental and emotional health issues. And we might talk about some of the themes of the month or some topics related to the theme of the month. And so this month, March is relationship month here in Yes Collective. So we might just talk about relationships as well. So Jenny, first, let me start off by thanking you for coming in today. And I just want to check in. How are you doing today? I'm fine. I feel a little frazzled from our audio uh, issue, but I'm, I'm settling <laughs> in. I'm taking deep breaths. Yeah, yeah. So we have a bunch of questions that parents sent to us. Mm-hmm. And we've also invited if any parents want to come on live and they want to ask their questions live, then we would love that as well. But I figure we'll just start off with the first question that we received this week. It was a direct message to our main account in the app. And the question was, how do we know the right balance between caring about our children's health and over control from our own anxiety that can result in worse problems later on? Jenny, what do you think about this one? Wow. We're just going to, we're going to dive right into the, one of the (laughs) hardest questions. Okay. Um, Yeah. I've been thinking about this and I just want to acknowledge and validate, you know, the worry and concern. It, it makes a lot of sense to be, to be, to feel that and to want to try to protect your children and, and keep them as healthy as possible. But I think in a way, the answer is sort of in the question, which is I can hear her differentiate between um, two things, which is um, anxiety and choices driven by fear and choices driven by um, considered concern. Like, you know, taking in evidence and, um, and sort of, I can, I can orient it to sort of the, the things that you and I talk about a lot, Justin, are sort of, you know, when we're making choices from an anxious part or place, it feels very different than making choices from kind of a place of knowing. And so while, you know, we could go into a lot of examples in terms of concrete examples around children's health, well, this or that, or this or that, I think the work really begins with this um, parents and all of us um, doing the work around starting to understand what anxiety and fear feels like in our body. And what, when we're, when we're making decisions, you know, doing those body scans and checking in and you know, asking ourselves, is this coming from a fear place? Is this coming from terror? Um, what it is, what is the fear here? Um, and oftentimes it can be a really big one, like mortality, right? Um, and that is a hard place to hold on to our mind in to make decisions and choices. And that's when I'm in that terror place, um, I have to work to regulate myself, come into um, 
um, try to get into that true self place more. This might be a time where I reach out for support mm. so I can help um, bring other people who aren't in the terror place, who maybe have a hold of their mind to help me in a dialogue. And I can start to then get a clearer idea of parsing out what is terror and anxiety and fear and what is like, you know, I really need to think about this. Um, so that's the first place I went, which is to me, that work is invaluable of just starting to understand the difference between anxiety and intuition. Yeah. One of the things that comes up is something we've discussed before. And I think, uh, if I recall correctly, when I brought this up in the past, we might've had a little bit of a small disagreement about this, but it was a quote that I'd heard another therapist say, and it was, if it's big, it's yours. Or if it's intense and, and, and so you brought up the word like terror, you know, so if, so if it's like big anxiety and, you know, the kind of this big buzziness, the way that I interpreted that quote was that's my stuff that I need to go and, un and unpack and really look at. If it's a matter of, Hey, you know, that's your second donut, like one's enough. <laughs> and it's just a grounded sense of no, like, like, we're good. Um, then, you know, I don't have that, that anxiety or, you know, the big feelings. And so um, I can imagine for a lot of us, it's hard to really have a, a, a clear sense of when have I gone from having a knowing, as you said, like, no, this is, this is good. I, I feel, you know, hundred percent good about this. No anxiety. Uh, I, I do feel like we need to. So here it was uh, caring about our children's health and then this concern about over control. And, and, and so I just think of something like nutrition and so, okay, you know, we don't need that much, you know, that many gummy bears or whatever the case is. Um, to, uh, you know, how do we um, distinguish between when we move to that to a sense of, oh my gosh, like we live in a toxic food environment and I want my kid to be maximally healthy. And so what's coming up for me is just that feeling of like, okay, if it's big, if like there's a big feeling here and it's a lot and it's, it's buzzy and it's, uh, there's a sense of maybe potential overwhelm, um, then it's not about the thing. It's not about the food, actually. It's about something else going on inside. How did that one way to? You? Yeah, I think it, I agree, and I think two things. You know, um, one way to track that is if you notice, if you if you if you can pause and slow down and and do some compassionate inquiry around. Oh, you know, I'm really having a big reaction to them having you know the the second donut you know, what's my fear and just going there, what's the story that you, that you're, that you're telling yourself, well, then, then they'll get diabetes and then they'll be fat and then they'll be sick their whole, I mean, like, um, that's usually an indication when we're off in the future that way, that we're in a really anxious place. Um, and so it might just be a way to slow down. I need to slow down and just be in this moment and see if that can, um, shift in anything inside in terms of kind of the decision that you're trying to make. And the other thing I want to add is that I, you know, I do agree that 
if we're having a big reaction, there is there is a, something inside reacting. Like there is there is a part that is activated. There is you know something inside. There's a trauma that's getting lit up. There's a story. Yes, and sometimes two things can be true that you are being activated, and also something can be happening outside of you. You know, so just to like, I'm all, I really just want to throw that out there is that sometimes when we say like it's all your, you know, that's all mine. We can get into like a self pathologizing place of like self blame. And I just want to make sure that we always have a little bit of um, compassion with that, which I know is yeah. is something that's a big part of what you guys teach here, which is this isn't about, you know, noticing that reactive part and then being like, that's all mine. And I got to work through it. It's it's like, oh, you know, and then, yeah, I may, maybe, you know, after you've done this, this work, especially through the Yes Collective, like you'll start to have a sense of what that's attached to. It's like, oh, and then we can have that compassion. Like, oh, it makes so much sense that I'm scared about my kid having the second donut, given how, you know, I grew up and I was bullied and I really related it to this and that. You, you can start to put those pieces together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the self-compassion piece is critical here. So I want to see if we can draw out a few more practical or pieces of practice. And so I really loved your pointing to um, this practice of looking inside and how much is the future uh, a role in this thought process and the feelings. And so you're saying that's a sign that that you've gone from just this grounded knowing that, you know, at the second donut, you've had enough and just fine, fine with that over to uh, anxiety and potential over control. So that I, so I'm taking one piece of practice away, looking aside, seeing how much is, is there this kind of future story that's right. generating? Yeah. This. Um, so I'm w- wondering if just off the top of your head, you could think of a, a few other practices that we could give parents about checking in and saying, you know, am I in grounded knowing right now, or am I edging over into anxiety and over control? Yeah, I think, um, radical acceptance comes to mind in that practice of if, you know, when I hear this thing, what we're talking about is control and over control and control is a reaction against fear. I mean, it is a way to try to make a fear go away or to feel like you have control over the fear. And so the more clear you can, you know, get to what it is you're actually afraid of, and then can you take a minute to see what it would like to come into radical acceptance around that? So, okay, your child has the second donut. And then what happens? What's like the worst fear, you know? And a lot of times when you follow this down, um, I'll give an example. Um, There was an example of a person who was afraid of driving through tunnels. And they um, went through this exercise of radical acceptance, which was, okay, well, I'm scared that traffic will stop and then I'll be trapped inside the tunnel. And then I'm scared that the tunnel... um, is going to collapse and I will die. And the radical acceptance was around their own death, which I know it sounds extreme, but it makes sense. (laughs) But then there was something around working through like, okay, like, can I tolerate 
Can I come into radical acceptance? And what they found was some peace on the other side, which is that I don't have control over what happens inside a tunnel when I drive through, but I do have some control over being in in acceptance around um, my worst fear. And there in that becomes some release. And this takes work, but I, I invite... I always invite people and myself toward just exploring that. And what I notice is that when we go toward radical acceptance, two things happens. One, we can either land in radical acceptance and something really comes into peace or this really adaptive part of your mind comes online and goes, well, the chances of the tunnel collapsing are pretty slim. Like this other part comes on that starts to rationalize. It's like your mind comes online because we've, we've brought you out of the fear. We've just gone toward it and we've accepted it. So with the child and the donut, it's like, you know, the chances of one donut tipping my kid into diabetes and into their ultimate demise is probably, that's probably not going to happen. So that's like an adaptive part. Um, so I don't know if that's a concrete enough. I just, no, I like yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And what's coming up is around parts work when you know when we get into relationship with inner parts and we allow an extreme part to have its say and that's what i'm hearing with this radical acceptance is can we just open up and just let this extreme part just have its say just be here welcome it let it know that you know it's part of the team as well and then there is a sort of reduction, or I have felt in myself when I've done this practice, is a sort of relaxation. And it's almost like this part is like, okay, whew, I let everybody know, like yeah. my, my most extreme fears, everybody knows, all right, I just wanted you guys to know. And, and yeah. there's, yeah, there's, there's a sense of like, oh, all right. And then there's a relaxation and then it's like other parts can, you know, come, come in and be like, yeah, you know, but uh, the tunnel, the, the likelihood of the tunnel coming down is extremely low and look at all these other people going through the tunnels. Well, they're doing, yeah. you, you know, you can too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just witnessed it the other day, you know, with, with a client and, and, and turning towards some really scary parts of you know, um, shame and, and depression and hopelessness. And these are parts that just desperately wish would just go away, go away, go away. And, um, turning toward them can just see. And, and also it, you know, is, is reported to me just, it's counterintuitive, but it, you know, to turn toward these, these feelings that feel so scary and yet it brings, it does bring relief and it brings clarity. Totally. Totally. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So I feel like we, uh, I, th- I think we did a good job on that first one. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> and I not, saw that. I was like, that's the, well, that is a, but yeah, it's a tough oh, question, man, but this, I, this, oh, this one is, is just like, I, I don't, I don't know that. I think every parent deals with this every single parent. So this is, this is a, a very, just, just right into the heart of a parent. It is. Yeah. 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 Um, And then if, if for this person who sent the question, if you have some follow-up, well, we're going to do this again in two weeks with one of our other therapists. And so you can ask the follow-up question there and we'll just continue to explore this. All right. So the next question, uh, (laughs) I I laughed when I got this one. All right. So insomnia, (laughs) I went to see a therapist for it and it was a total joke. He said, literally, I need to stop stressing about going to sleep and then I'll eventually fall asleep. 
I wish this was a joke. What <laughs> advice do you give clients who have trouble getting to sleep? Now, I'm first, so I, sorry. Yeah, I, and I will preface this with I. So um, most most parents I talk to actually have a slightly different problem when it comes to insomnia. And maybe this was hers, but this was not elucidated. Um, falling asleep is typically at the beginning of the night is not so hard because our lives are exhausting. And so when we hit the pillow, it's like, okay, we can do that. But the wake up at like three in the morning, that, that might, that might be a little tough. Yeah. So yeah. What, what do you tell clients? Who's... Yeah. There's different kinds. Can I, can I preface by saying, I'm really sorry about this therapist. Like I always <laughs> feel embarrassed when I hear these terrible <laughs> therapist stories and there are a lot, unfortunately. Um, I had a therapist once I was in the middle of a, a very dark period in my life. I was having, you know, I was, it was in severe depression and anxiety. And um, I had a, ther- a, a psychiatrist actually say to me, why don't you decide to be happy? So um, stop doing that thing. Yeah. I was like, God, hadn't thought of that. Thanks. You know, what the hell? So, okay. And, and Justin, I know you've done a lot of work around sleep hygiene. So I, you know, I'm sure you'll have a lot of concrete tips, but here's the thing. The first piece of this for me is because it's different for every client when we work with insomnia, but the first piece is to understand it as a facet of your life that needs tending to and will need to be, um, it's dynamic and ever-changing and will need to be continually checked in with and tended to. And I think a lot of times sleep is not some people just assume like, well, I should, I, you know, we sleep and we just do it and, and you don't really think about it until you can't do it. Right. So we don't get a lot of help with, you know, sleep hygiene with sort of like, what we're doing before we go to sleep, what we're doing, you know, how we're sleeping, all of these different facets. And it can be different for different people. I've had clients who it turns out they had to do a sleep study and get a CPAP machine. Like, you know, I've had clients who it's more about falling asleep and it's less about waking up and then vice versa. And different things have helped with different for different people. So I first want to just like manage expectations that this is a process to find out what your needs are and what your sleep hygiene is. And I know that's not the answer people want because they want to just say, do this and you'll go to, because it's very frustrating and it's very anxiety provoking to not sleep. Um, So I don't know what, if, you know, if you would agree in terms of all the sleep hygiene stuff that you've worked on, Oh yeah, no. I mean that that makes that makes perfect sense. The sleep hygiene stuff that I've worked on is less mental and more physical. It's about setting up circadian rhythms so that you fall asleep easy at night. And so the interesting thing is that in the literature, uh, there is not as I have not seen as helpful uh, advice around like circadian health, getting sunlight, exercise, you know, doing things at the right time during during the day that targets the middle of the night wake up. And so that oh, one yeah. is tougher because I I have an assumption that um, and and I'm and I have this assumption because I'm not aware of the research around waking up in the middle of the night. But for me, at least, when it's happening for me, it is a sign that I have anxiety in my life that is not that uh, that has not been processed. That is that is uh, being 
shoved away is being resisted, avoided and ignored. And then boom, at three in the morning, it's like, Hey, let's, let's try to solve this irresolvable problem. I I couldn't agree more. And, and so it's, it's, it seems again, counterintuitive that what you during, during the day would be setting you up for what's happening in the middle of the night. But I would agree when that happens for me as well. And I can speak to some working with clients around this too. There is usually not a lot of uh, care happening during the day around emotional processing Mm. and around stress discharge. Mm. So these are a lot of times uh, folks aren't doing their 10 minutes of meditation. They aren't, um, if meditation for you is going for a run or an exercise, I mean, it doesn't have to be sitting still and, you know, doing mindfulness meditation can take many forms. Um, if it, if, if people are not, um, you know, journaling, you know, somehow discharging the, the emotional processing that's going on, then, um, it will show up later in, in the middle of the night or in your dreams. Um, so I think that's absolutely accurate. So I would ask, I would say, firstly, I would take a look at all the physical things are things that you can absolutely be doing. So I don't know what this person's struggling, like which level yeah. of insomnia, Yeah, yeah. but, um, but all those physical things are fixes. Like you can, you know, you can just change those things. The internal, the work around the internal world is a little more, um, is, is a little more abstract. And so I think also people kind of avoid it more <laughs> so for a variety of reasons. Well, it's, and as you said, it's a process. And so I'll just give a few tips for the physical stuff and it's not a process. So one of the things is when you wake up in the morning, try to get 15 minutes of outdoor sun and people say, well, I don't live in like a sunny place or there's clouds. It doesn't matter. Like outside, as long as you're outside and without any glasses, you are getting sunlight into your eyes. That is a big uh, time keeper for your circadian clocks. And you can do that first thing in the morning. It's a physical thing. You don't need to face your uh, deepest fears or anything. <laughs> you know, you can just go outside, get some sun in the morning, and then do things that are active and up when the sun is out, and then don't do them when the sun is down. And so this is like exercise and eating, um, stimulating things, Pack those into the day, and then when the sun goes down, start to pull them all back. Don't don't eat. I I, I would say don't don't eat eat after seven o'clock. I mean eight o'clock at the very latest. But then don't eat because that's a signal to the body that the day is done. Right. And and so then you can give it a time. And then another physical thing that I think is the most powerful is at night, turn off as many lights as you possibly can. Uh, if you have blue light blocking glasses. You can wear those when you're on a computer screen, Uh, but really light is a major uh, trigger into our uh, eyes that lets the brain know, is this daytime or is this nighttime? So those are all like the physical things that you don't have to do any emotional processing around. Um, and I and I think for most people, most of the time, if they do those things you, at night, you will fall asleep when it's time to go to sleep. But as you as you pointed out, it's like this this three a.m., four a.m. Yeah, I'm up. That's way trickier, and that's a process. And yeah, and let me give some 
of my, I'll just share my, my idea around it and, and what has helped some people and myself, but I have to say it's, it might sound a little bit like what his therapist said, but it's going to, but it's more, um, there's more actual, uh, instruction, <laughs> which is if you wake up in the middle of the night, or even if, if you're laying in bed and can't go to sleep, get up out of bed. Mm-hmm. except again, we're going to talk about radical acceptance, come into radical acceptance that you are not sleeping right now and allow yourself to really feel into the feelings around that. It, does it frighten you that you're not going to, you know, what's the story that you're telling? Well, tomorrow I'll be tired. Okay. Can you come into acceptance that tomorrow you'll be tired? Um, can you accept that for whatever reason, this isn't happening the way you want it to and maybe there's sadness, maybe there's frustration, anger, fear. Sit with those feelings and process them at three in the morning. I mean, just like, but do it in another room, not in your bedroom. Yeah. And yes. notice what happens in your body as you come into acceptance with what is what is in the here and now, which is that you wish you were sleeping and you are not sleeping. Can you tolerate that? A lot of times you'll go to sleep. I'm just saying like a lot of times when, when you, when you do that and then you go back to lay down and you're not trying to make something happen and just accepting, I mean, not always, sometimes I just, you know, toss and turn, but a lot of times if I can really just be in the here and now with it, I do start to get drowsy. Yeah. And thank you for reminding me. I totally forgot that we have, uh, guided practice uh, a guided meditation in the app called i think it's 4 a.m anxiety meditation oh. but it's a but it's exactly on this and i forgot about it because we did it maybe yeah. seven or eight months ago so oh, i nice. will link yeah so i will link to that um and it and it is essentially what you just said that's what uh clicked for me i was like oh yeah we did this yeah like, there you like, go a while back and the meditation is really a, a, exactly what you said it's about opening up like Hey, can we just be with this right now? And, mm-hmm. and then and then bring our awareness um into the body. What does this feel like right now? And can we just open up to it? Can we physically like if there's a physical sensation or like anxiety around going yeah. to sleep? Can we like manifest that like physically? What does that look like? What does it feel like? Let it go and then come back to the heart center and you know, yeah. Yeah. And then and I'll share one other little acceptance. exercise. Radical acceptance. I'll share one little exercise too that I, I use a lot when um, when I'm working with folks who have trauma, and we um, come to the end of a session, and we, you know, it take it can take time to really work through trauma, and so we can't get to it all. So we'll do a, a, con- a container exercise. So um, I just invite people to create a container in their mind's eye, and this could be an existing thing, or it could be um, something you make up. So it could be like a canoe, or it could be a Tupperware jar. Mine is a um, those old fashioned um, New York water towers that sit on buildings. Yeah, That's what mine is. Um, and um, you just imagine putting all of the things that you're chewing on and worrying about or the, the hard feelings or the scary, all the scary bits in the container, put the lid on, whatever that is, and sending it away. And I send mine into like somewhere in the Midwest and like to a cornfield. <laughs> and I know I can always go back and I can get it and I can, I can decide to worry about these things or think or process them if it's trauma with my therapist during the set time that we're working on it. But the rest of the time, it's just in that container and it's not, it's not something I need to be 
um, dealing with right now. So this can be a great visualization in the middle of the night of like, because you're not solving any problems laying there. We need to add that. Yeah, we need to add that to the 4 a.m. anxiety uh, the arsenal meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. The container. I love it. All right. So I feel complete with that one. I hope okay. that that helped. Um, and we will link, or if uh, anybody has additional questions about like the physical aspects of sleep hygiene, you can just uh, put sleep into the search engine or the search box in yes, collective app. And then you'll see all the stuff that we have around sleep, which is quite a bit. All right. So uh, the next one is, oh boy, this one is, uh, <laughs> these are all tough. All right. So I can't stand my job and I'm exhausted at the end of the day and have barely inter- any energy left for my family, but we need the second income. Is there anything I can do to bring more of myself home at the end of the day? Whew. Yeah, that's tough. You know, I can hear many levels to this, right? Which is, I hate my job. So that's really, really tough. And I can hear that I need my job. And this may be getting a little too complex, but I wonder if it would be possible to to sit with a therapist or even a loved one and start to talk through which parts. Um, sometimes we do things that we that we don't that we hate because we feel like we have to, and that have to is actually something from our past, and it can be um, a traumatized part that believes that in order to be okay, I need to suffer, or in order to be taken care of, I need to do something I hate. I just throw that out there that that um, we can get really fixed in concrete. You know, and and I'm not in any way implying that we don't need to go to jobs and make a living. And sometimes we are doing something that we don't like, and we do need, to, and that is just how it is for a period of time. Like I really want to validate that. And while that's happening, when we can sort of start to have an inquiry around, you know, is it true that this is the only job that I could have to help meet these financial needs? Um, what would it be like to have a job that I liked? What, 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 how would I like to feel at a job? What kinds of jobs could support that feeling, right? And something starts to kind of expand and open up around possibility. Um, we get we get to be more creative. So when I hear I hate and I and I have to, my spidey senses start to kind of pick up, yeah. and I start to hear I hear traumatized. I hear I hear stuff inside that's hurting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you said, talk to a therapist, but a loved one, uh, somebody safe and loved who you, who this person or any parent uh, could start to just start to talk about this with, right? Well, and maybe, you know, you may already have this in your resources, or maybe we could come up with a set of just open-ended questions that could, you know, um, I'm sure with authentic relating, like what are open-ended questions that you could sort of hand to a, a, a friend that you feel mm. safe with? Can you help me oh, think through this? Like, I'm, I hate this job and I also feel stuck in it and I feel like I have no options. Could we just, could you ask me these open-ended questions? Because we ha- Could we have a dialogue and just see if there's anything going on underneath that, yeah. you know, this is the concrete stuff. Everyone comes to therapy and they're not everyone, but most people come and there's, there's a crisis and it's usually in this concrete place of 
work relationship, uh, money, you know, these kinds of things. And the wish is if I could just move, if I could just have a different job, then everything would be fine. If I just was married to somebody else, everything would be fine. If my kid would just act differently, everything would be fine. And what they find in the, in the therapeutic work, which is really compassionate inquiry, I mean, just every week, us uh, processing these emotions and just, you know, getting clear about what's, what's going on, how the parts are talking to each other, all that stuff, is that when they start to do that, something starts to shift internally and the concrete starts to feel very, very different. Sometimes the concrete starts to move. They do get a new job. Sometimes the same job starts to feel like they don't hate it anymore. Mm. So the power is inside, but we are convinced it's on the outside. So that's the first thing that came to mind when I heard this question was, ah, that kind of, that kind of curiosity around this concrete stuff, I wonder if it would start to feel different or start to even shift it. Maybe a different job is possible. I love that. So I then have a follow-up question. So let's say there's another parent who we can just take that first part out and say, I love my job, but I'm exhausted at the end of the day and have barely energy, any energy left for my family. Um, is there anything I can do to bring more of myself home at the end of the day? Wow, Justin, you're really like <laughs> hit me with the hard ones on this spot here. <laughs> okay. I love my job. Well, I can relate to this. I love my job. And I can be very exhausted at the end of it and feel like I've um like I don't have much left to give. So what that's meant for me is to get really clear about what I need in order because I well, first of all, it's got it's it's meant getting clear about what I value. And while I value my job, I value my family more. And I value my relationship um, to my partner most of all. And um, so it be, so it reminds me of my why, why I'm even doing the job, right? Um, which is partially my own personal fulfillment, but also it's to help support us, you know, in, in, in different ways. When I'm when I feel full, I'm a better partner and also financially. So remembering my why then brings me back to um for me, are the stories I'm telling myself about how much I need to be working true? Mm. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> could I be taking more breaks? So I'm I'm highly introverted. I'm also a highly sensitive person and HSP, which means I need a lot of alone time. And what happens for me in my job is I'm constantly in conversation with others. And then I come home and my wife, who's an extrovert, wants to be in conversation. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like yeah, drained yeah. and have nothing to give. And so once I reevaluate my value, you know, what I value and my why, then it means I need to change my schedule. I need to take some, I need to, I need to find the time and, and start prioritizing it and start questioning these ideas of I can't. And if I do that, then horrible things, you know, things will fall apart. And that always circles back to some trauma, anxiety, fear inside of me. So it's it's a process, and I hope that, that I hope that wasn't too complicated. Um, but yeah, so yeah, what I'm what I'm hearing is that there that there that there needs to be some further inquiry from some further self inquiry around what one needs. So that they can then come home and 
show up for their family. And so is there something that's happening either during the day or maybe at the end of the day that this person isn't fully aware of that? So for you, it was need more alone time, like just, just need a, just need a little bit more alone time so that when you come home, you can show up with your full self. Yeah. And I'll say two things about that. One, it can be as simple as when I'm driving home, which I have an eight minute commute. Okay. When I'm driving home, listening to a podcast drains Mm -hmm. music energizes. Mm. So now I'll put on music and I'm going to be in a different headspace when I walk in that door than I am if I'm listening and I'm trying to learn something or I'm listening to some, you know, depressing, sad tale or when I'm just, you know, I'm using a different part of my, yeah, or just even something fun. It's like checking in, is this energizing me or is this draining me further? So I mean, really simple as that, because a lot of times we have ideas that in order to self-care or, um, find more energy or take care of ourselves so that we can be there for our families. Um, I equate it to being hangry. So, you know, when you don't eat and you get really, really hangry and you have this idea that the only way you're going to feel good is if you eat the entire grocery store, (laughs) right? Like I need, I need eight, you know, meals in front of, you know, it's, I mean, it's hangry. We're not thinking clearly. And then you'll have like half of a kind bar and you're fine. So, (laughs) When you, but you got to start paying attention to these things because it may only you may only need five minutes blasting your favorite song on your way home to clear your headspace of the job you hate or love and get into a different mindset to be with your family. It doesn't have to be a huge thing sometimes. Love it, love it. All right. So the next one, <clears throat> we're just throwing fastballs left and right here. All right. So okay. the next one is, well, okay, wait. So before I do, Jenny, how are you doing? Uh, are you ready for the next? All right. All I'm right. like, so, <laughs> yeah, let's do I'm it. in the batter's box. I'm like, okay. <laughs> exactly. <I'm ready>. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So how do you deal with an irresolvable difference between a married couple? What if you've talked it out? And you totally understand each other and you just have this fundamental disagreement. Now, I will say I didn't follow up to ask of what the disagreement was. And so I projected onto it because I thought, oh, okay, what, what could be like a fundamental disagreement where people could talk it out and then just still just, just be on opposite sides? And I'm thinking of something like maybe vaccines, Um, and so I'm like trying to give some flesh to this a little bit. So maybe one partner is like, you know, I, I, I just have some like philosophical belief around vaccines. And the other one is like, well, I just follow the science. And, um, and so they both totally understand each other, but I could imagine an irresolvable difference, even when they totally understand each other. Um, and so how do they move forward? This one is rich. I mean, this is like, (laughs) this has layers. At the heart of of marriage partnership is the need to be different, is to differentiate. There are entire couples therapies built around this. Ellen Bader um, has a whole model around, um, at the Couples Institute, has a whole model around differentiation is the key to staying together, being, you know, content in your, in your partnership and, and longevity. And so often differentiation is absolutely terrifying to us. 
because it triggers all these young parts inside. So if we're different, we're not close. Mm. Uh, if we're not the same, you don't love me. Um, so it can be this concrete thing. Again, it's the concrete thing that we, you know, that we believe it's irresolvable. It's, 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 we're too, we're too different. And I guarantee it is triggering parts inside who have um, very uh, understandable fears given what's gone on in your past around what being that different means. And it's probably something terrifying, like abandonment, um, you know, uh, we're not going to be okay, you know, uh, or, or it could be, um, I'm not safe. You're smothering me. You know, I, I can't, I can't be myself and be close. Cause sometimes people, it's an anxious thing. And sometimes it's an avoidant, you know, like, um, like you need me to be exactly like you and you're, you're, you're killing me by making me, you know, so Oh, I'll so, just, I just I just have this tremendous urge to reveal that I absolutely am on the anxious side <clears throat> of this where uh, like if Audra and I have a fundamental disagreement, I will feel, as you said, like, oh, my gosh, I, I'll feel feel fear. Like, I'll feel like I we. I'm being abandoned. Uh, like I, I, like I need to close this gap at, at, at like at all costs. And so I totally resonate with this. Yeah. And I can, I can speak. This is a great partnership, Justin, because I can speak from the other side, which is the avoidance side, which is <laughs> when um, my wife and I are in a place of being very different um, about something. Um, I feel like I am being asked to abandon myself in order to, and this is my story. This is not what she's not doing this, but this is my, that I have have to abandon myself in order to make her be okay. And I can't have, it's either her or me and I either have to make her be okay, but I can't have my own, I can't be different and I can't be myself or I have to just leave. Like the fantasy becomes like, I'm just out of here. I mean, even though I don't want to, I don't want to leave my wife, but like when in those heat, 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 hot, hot, hot moments, it's like, I gotta go. I have to, I mean, I'm in my mind. I'm like, I don't, I have a house in Joshua tree. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't live here anymore. And that is, those are my, that's my terror inside is that I cannot be myself and be safe and close. I have to either abandon myself to be with you or I have to be all alone. What a horrible choice. It's so fascinating. No, it's so fascinating how these are like, these are real poles that like, like this is not like your, your unique, you know, your unique little story. Like these are, these are real poles that, that uh, are related to how you were raised and the um, attachment scenario that you grew up in. And I experienced the same thing, but on the opposite end of, you know, mom, I love you, but like definitely, um, grew up with, with this sense of like needing more attachment, needing more attention. And so, yeah, the disagreement for me flips. I like, it's even hard for me to understand like, Oh, how a disagreement could be about me being smothered. It's like, no, no, no. I like, I need to run after you and make sure that you see me and that you under, and that we're both on the same page. And I will go, I will do backflips to like, get us on the same page. Well, and just to be clear, Justin, we both want the same thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Every, you know, like we both want 
closeness and attachment and safety. It's just that the way we were raised and the way we reacted to the way we were raised it makes leaves us feeling like we have to go about it in different ways. Mm. But at the heart of it is, you know, um, is wanting to feel close. And when we are not in agreement, when there's an irresolvable issue, we feel we our our difference, our separateness is highlighted, and that is that is going to kick stuff up for folks. Yeah. And so um, it's interesting. My therapist shared something. I wish I could remember the quote, but she shared something with me. It was a quote about a woman and a man that were married for like 30 years. And he was like a hardcore Republican. I mean, like Trump supporter, hardcore Republican, and she was hardcore liberal. And, um, and they were pretty unhappy and a lot of arguments. And she realized that we could keep arguing about uh, these two things, or we could start to work on what's at, at the heart of, you know, of, of, of our relationship in terms of um, can we, can we come into, but this is like the theme today, radical acceptance Mm. that we are different in this way that we cannot control it and we cannot change it. What does that bring up in you? What gets activated is going to be different for different people. And can we work from that place? I love um, women who run with wolves, the river beneath the river. Like, can we get to the river beneath the river? That's where the work is. Um, can we grieve the fantasy that we're alike? Mm. Can we grieve the loss in not being the same and we not, and, and disagreeing around this irresolvable thing? Like there's loss there. Wow. Grief. I, I, that is, that's beautiful. That's yeah. That is a really surprising, uh, uh, that, that feels really surprising for me. Like, Oh, wow. I, and, and now I, recognize it as well just this this sense of like grieving a a like yeah a kind of young uh, kind of childhood fantasy of like this perfect perfect match we have no disagreements we are in lockstep and we're just always rowing in the same (laughs) direction and grieving that and then feeling into ooh, what's on the other side of that grief an even deeper connection because now we're like we're coming to each other as grown-ups you know yeah yeah I like that. Yeah. What is so I wonder so so uh that I'm also recognizing that, or at least for me, it feels like okay, we just laid out this like massive journey that now this couple or like every couple needs to go on. I'm wondering if there are some like baby steps here. So, you know, you and let's 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 just go for the hypothetical to the parent who sent this. I I am not saying that vaccines <laughs> were what what uh, triggered yours, but let's just do the hypothetical uh, the hypothetical vaccine disagreement. How do parents? I mean, I, I can then imagine there are some like real practical issues. So we'll we'll sidestep those around. You know, should the kids get uh, right vaccinated? Yeah. Let's just let's just sidestep that because that that feels kind of big. But um, maybe it's hey, um, they've resolved the issue of the kids. The kids are going to get vaccinated because they have to go to school or whatever. All right, so that's done. But they still have this fundamental disagreement, and I can imagine if you know for this parent feeling like, oh, you know, this really hurts because this is a major thing that I care about. 
and we are just on totally opposite sides. So what might be maybe one or two little baby steps? Yeah. Okay. And again, people, people want the baby step, baby want the concrete steps, and then they don't want them because it's like, Oh God, I have to do that. But (laughs) what I recommend is um, there's three things I would, I would say, you know, one is setting aside time once a week to actually have a kind of a, a, a state of the union, like to really intentionally check in around how are we, what's going on in that conversation to be doing. And this is real um, basic and it is very hard for folks, but it is a game changer is to practice uh, reflective listening. So first person starts out and it's very formulaic, but it works. So I, you know, when you disagree with me about the vaccine, I feel, and then a feeling word, a feeling is not, I feel you are a jackass. That's not a feeling. <laughs> I feel scared. I feel anxious. Yes. I feel angry. I feel hurt. Um, there are feeling charts on Etsy. You can buy them totally. if you yes. have trouble with yes. words. Like yes, you can, and you can find it on the feeling wheel, like, you know, because it has like at the heart, like the four or five main emotions, and then you can get new, more nuanced as you go out. So I feel. Then the next per- then the person responds by, reflecting. What I hear you say is that when I disagree with vaccines, you feel anxious. Did I get that right? And then the first person says yes or no. Well, that's not quite right. I I feel scared, but I also feel, you know, and you just keep doing that until you get it right. Then the person who, who reflected says validates. And here's the thing about validation. People hate it because they think it means agreeing. It doesn't mean agreeing. It means understanding that your partner could feel the way they feel. It's compassion. Yeah. So validation. Yeah. I mean, the big thing with validation that just was a key for me understanding is it was, it was, it was hard for me to get it because it's like, oh, I just have to agree with them. Oh, and it was, it was getting to the point where I can say that makes sense. Like what, what you're saying makes sense. If I can get there, then, then I, yes, yes, I have. Yeah. I can see it makes, it makes so much sense that when I disagree with vaccines that you feel scared, I get that. Yes. Yes. Validation. And then you take, then the other person goes, when you, I feel, and you go back and forth and you start to learn a new way of communicating. And it, it, it's a game changer. The other thing I would say is learn the art of timeouts. So when you feel on a scale of zero to 10, when you feel the heat get above like a six, it's time to do a timeout because at that point we're in our um, kind of in our trauma part of our brain and no good comes of it. So, um, and, and, and a lot of times if you, especially if you have like an, I don't know about you, Joe, how do you feel about timeouts as, as like the identify the self-identified anxious person? Right. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of, yeah. I mean, I, I exactly like, I feel like, oh, I've now like really lost connection. Now I'm like being put into timeout. And so um, I, yeah, but at the same time, uh, I absolutely recognize, I mean, I, when you said when when it gets above a six, uh, that it it makes absolute sense. In the words of uh, parts work or internal family systems, it's like, hey, there's a part that is activated, and th- like, th- th- yeah, as you said, this is not going anywhere good. Like, the n- we are not going to understand each other. All we're going to do is have parts battle parts 
and nobody wins. And so I absolutely understand, but uh, I do have a part that gets very anxious during timeout. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and I, and, and so that could be something that we talk about, but when we're not arguing is kind of like, what are our fair fighting rules and what, what about timeouts? Like, um, we've come around to timeouts, you know, it, it's been a long journey for us because, you know, one person loves them, one person hates them. And so they can get kind of overused and not you and then not respected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so, but now we're at a point where we both see the value and um, when we do use them, it, it does make a big difference when we actually take time to calm down and we trust each other. We know we're not really going anywhere. So I think there's some, over the years, you know, we've built up that trust, but yeah, those would be my three places to begin. Um, and I also, can I just give a pitch for couples therapy real quick? Like people yeah. think that if you go to couples therapy, it means you're about to get divorced. That is not true. It's just, unfortunately, a lot of people wait until it's too late to go to couples therapy and start to learn some new ways of communicating and learns. Um, it's really helpful to understand your partner's parts. It's really helpful to understand their hurts and how they get activated and and triggered. And when you can start to help each other um, take care of each other in those ways, it's a beautiful thing. And it's hard to do that when you've got 10 years of calcified resentment because you waited until you hate each other to go get help. I'm a big fan of, you know, if you're getting married, premarital work. Yes. When couples love and like each other, that is the time to go to couples therapy. Yes. So that's, uh, that wasn't something that was just on, on my mind. I, I wanted to recap your, your th- three things, but that, um, that's why I think the state of the union idea of, you know, once a week or whatever is such a brilliant idea, because if you schedule that in, chances are when that state of the union comes up, it's not going to be when you're triggered. And so you can then start to have those discussions and then use, so your second one was reflective listening. And so then it's a lot easier to not, not just to, just to be the person saying, uh, when you, I feel, but to be the listener and to, uh, to hear that like, Oh, all right. Wow. So I didn't realize that this was your experience. And so now, now I can respond in a, um, in a better way. And then, the third one uh, was timeouts, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just learning timeouts and understanding what your fair fighting rules are. Like, you know, we, we have, we never call it, you know, never call each other names. Um, we don't cuss at each other. We can cut, you know, like I'm so <laughs> effing upset, yes. you know, but we would never be like F you yes, or, you know, yes, yes. Um, we, we call a timeout. We don't just leave, you know, we, 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 we ask, you know, I mean, as best we can, like, I'm not saying it doesn't get heated, but, um, a negotiated timeout, right. Not a lateral timeout. Well, sometimes it's, you know, lateral, but just kind of understanding what the timeout means. Like, I'm not going to go away for three days and not speak to you. Um, and knowing your fighting style, like some people are really loud and, and when you're, you know, too loud people, like that's okay. It does. It's not a bad or good. It's just, if it's not a match, you got to kind of understand, like, if yeah, you're a loud fighter with a quiet fighter, it's like, ooh, you know, you just want to like check in around that. But um, it takes practice, the reflective listening. It really takes practice. Oh, it's hard gosh. for people, oh, but it's really powerful. Oh, I yes, I absolutely concur. Um, 
So we are out of time. We had several more questions. So if you asked a question this week, we are going to be back in a couple of weeks. Your questions will be bumped to the top of the list and we'll do yours first. Uh, so we're going to be doing this at least twice a month. I think this is so fantastic. Like this is the real stuff. This is the real work, the daily grind. I think it's so valuable. And it's something that I'm just thrilled that we can bring to parents in the Yes Collective app. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on for our first therapist circle. It's our first, our first band, like our first jam, Justin, like our first gig. <laughs> our I first like. gig. Oh, and then people are going, you know, years from now, they're going to say, dude, I was at the first one. No, I'm honored to be a part of it. And this is always fun. I love talking about this stuff. I could talk all day. So oh thank God. you for letting me be a part so, of it. I appreciate so it. Brilliant. So brilliant. Thank you, my friend. Okay. All right. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.